a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, we're talking about all kinds of spending today good spending, bad spending, kick the can down the road kind of spending, big, awful, omnibus spending, and on and on and on it goes. Uh, There's a new bipartisan legislation being introduced uh, that is very interesting to look at and look for. Senators Elizabeth Warren, Angus King, Mike Braun, our own Senator Mike Lee, uh, have introduced a bill to reduce wasteful Pentagon spending. The bill is called the Streamline Pentagon Spending Act, and the senior senator, Mike Lee, joins us on the line. Senator, I know it is a very busy time in our nation's capital. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you. Uh, Before we get into this bipartisan uh, group that you uh, are part of as it relates to uh, looking at the Pentagon spending, just give us a quick update in terms of where we are. We know we had the – we're calling it the mini kick the can down the road uh, to next week uh, in terms of the continuing resolution. And then it looks like we'll have something in the neighborhood of a 3,000-page, $1.7 trillion something, something uh, coming at us. What what are the conversations in Washington happening? What are you watching for? What are you worried about for next week? Yeah, look, this is one of the sadder, uh, more awful sights to behold in Washington is what happens when a small handful of people in Congress get together, uh, sometimes called the law firm of McConnell, Schumer, Pelosi, McCarthy, and they draft entirely in secret uh, a spending bill a spending bill that they won't let anyone else see, then they'll hold it back until the last possible moment, ideally as close to a a scheduled recess as possible. Ideally, what they try to do is to hold it as close to Christmas as possible. Because what happens is that if they wait until the moment when a government shutdown would otherwise occur so that members are acting out of a sense of urgency and treating it as, as an emergency of sorts, Uh, then uh, all of a sudden members will vote for that thing, especially if they have to to vote for a spending bill that's 3,000-plus pages long, as this one is likely to be, Uh, especially one one with over 7,500 special interest giveaway earmarks, uh, as as this one is is supposed to have in it. And uh, all of a sudden members will start jumping on board with supporting that bill even before they've seen it, even before it exists. This bill that we'll likely be voting on next week uh, still doesn't exist. It it hasn't been seen by members of the public or by all but this small law firm that I described within Congress. So 
as a result, they're trying to avoid the dual threat of either causing a government shutdown or having to work over Christmas and cancel their plans to be together with their families for Christmas so members vote for it without ever having read it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I find reprehensible. That's why on the Senate floor last night, I proposed an amendment to this short-term kick-the-can measure uh, and did so in a way that would have decoupled the shutdown threat uh, from the spending bill process or would have made it a much more orderly process. Look, at the end of the day, I, I, I'm not just trying to be persnickety here. I do these things because they make a difference, because w- we end up spending trillions of dollars that we don't have when we spend money this way. And that, that amount that we add to our deficit every year uh, is, is going to hit us. It's going to boomerang right back at us and jeopardize everything, every priority we have in government from Social Security to national defense, unless we get hold of it. But we won't ever get hold of it as long as we're passing multi-trillion dollar spending bills uh, on on an emergency basis so that members can get home uh, to spend Christmas with their families and avoid a shutdown. It's not a good way of doing things. No, it is not the way to to do things. And uh, especially when you look at, you know, two of the things that are uh, two of the very few things that are outlined in the Constitution in terms of what Congress's job is. One is, is those appropriations bills, the funding, uh, and defense. That's a, a big part of it. Uh, we, we're coming up with a, a new bill. Uh, we are calling this bill the uh, Congress Do Your Job 273-Day Countdown Act. Uh, from January 1st to September 30th is 273 days, and we are going to remind Every member of Congress that that's when the work's supposed to be done, as you described. It's not supposed to be done uh, in late December, right before a holiday. Uh, and so, if if things were done right, those twelve appropriations bills go through. You can do it in public. You can have an amendment process uh, and get it done. And then there would never be there would never ever be a threat of a government shutdown uh, if that all happened right. Uh, and I want to dig in specifically uh, as it relates to the defense spending. Uh, there's a lot there that, again, we kind of get chunked in, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of accountability in terms of waste, fraud, and abuse. Uh, so so tell us about this bipartisan uh, work that you're doing with Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, and some of the other members of, of Congress on both sides uh, of the aisle and both uh, chambers of Congress. Yeah, look, the way we uh, we keep our military funded, um, the, the prioritization that we require, requiring that our top-level Pentagon officials um, provide these unfunded priorities lists. It ends up messing up Congress's own um, task, its own capacity to uh, engage in in an adequate degree of congressional oversight over military spending. Uh, The the lists are sort of like busy work uh, for the Pentagon. They, They don't offer any meaningful information about what these um, expenditures are are really going to cost in the long term. And in the process, they end up undermining uh, the, the, uh, the overall budget process and the process of trying to save money. And so that's why I've teamed up uh, with Senator Elizabeth Warren and some uh, other colleagues who I don't agree with on everything, but uh, there are a number of things on which we can agree and which is, uh, this is one of them. And I think this, this bill Get it passed uh, would be a big help. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. 
It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so it's so important that we have that accountability on the on the back end. Uh, we, we also saw this, uh, we've been covering this week, uh, looking at some of the things that are being spent out of the uh, American Rescue Plan uh, that have nothing to do with rescue. They have to do with golf courses and counties that don't have a government and uh, all kinds of spending that there's just no accountability for, uh, which uh, we've actually renamed the Inflation Creation Act uh, by pumping in $1.9 trillion into the economy. And again, no real accountability. Uh, how do we get to that regular order and process so that even even in an emergency, uh, we still have to make sure there's some sort of way to, to prevent that waste, fraud, and abuse and have accountability on the back end? Well, I think the only way that it happens uh, is for members to oppose omnibus spending legislation like the one we're going to be seeing next week if if we don't have an adequate opportunity to review it. And it's not just the, that the members themselves need to read it, but they also need to be able to share it with the public and their constituents need to have the opportunity to weigh in and express concerns. Um, this will be at least 3,000 pages long, at least 7,500 earmarks for you know special interest giveaways from Uncle Sam. And every one of these provisions has the capacity to help one person or a group of people and, and hurt others. When you have legislation slapped together in secret like this and then brought to the forefront and passed on an emergency basis at the last minute, uh, the public is always going to be harmed by that. And so the answer to your question really lies in the fact that there are a small handful of members in Congress who get more powerful every time we do it this way. The law firm of um, uh, Schumer, McConnell, Pelosi, McCarthy, they get more powerful. But uh, they will they'll therefore continue to do that as long as it works for them. And it will work for them as long as members reflexively vote for it. If, on the other hand, members start getting wise, members of both houses and both political parties say, no, we're not going to vote for something that we haven't seen and can't uh, reasonably comprehend or vet with our constituents uh, before we vote on it. That's when the magic can start happening. Right. That's when they will finally get back to the way we're supposed to do things. Yeah, so important. We, we have to get to that. And, and as citizens, we have to make sure that we're asking that hard question of, did you get a chance to read the bill? Why are we voting for things we haven't seen? Where's uh, some accountability and transparency uh, in that whole process. Uh, Senator, before I let you go, really important. You have been a, a tireless uh, behind-the-scenes worker uh, when it comes to uh, dealing with uh, uh, Lieutenant Alconis uh, and his family uh, being held. Uh, his, he is being held in Japan. Uh, you have worked so tirelessly. We, of course, a lot of headlines given uh, to uh, Miss Griner coming back, being freed. 
Uh, and this is one of those that may not be on everyone's radar, but this is a story that we all need to understand. Yeah, so in a nutshell, uh, Lieutenant Ridge Elkonis with the U.S. Navy, one of our best and brightest U.S. Naval Academy graduate and uh, uh, someone with top reviews from every one of his colleagues and commanding officers. He was involved in a car accident in Japan, uh, resulting from a medical emergency that he had, an unforeseeable medical emergency uh, that he had that um, rendered him unconscious. And he got in a car accident after becoming unconscious. Tragically, two Japanese citizens were killed in that car accident. My heart goes out to them. On the United States and any other civilized country with which I'm familiar, um, that would be regarded as what it is, which is an accident, and uh, an accident that carries with it no criminal culpability. In Japan, that's not how things work. In Japan, something like that can land you in prison. It did with him. He's serving a three-year prison sentence in a Japanese prison right now. He's been serving that sentence since July. Um, the tragic thing here is that we, I, I think we need more work by the U.S. Navy to get him out of prison. I think especially between now and whenever we can get him out of prison, we need Ridge Alconis's family. Lieutenant Alconis's family needs to be taken care of. His wife, Brittany, that's why I say we need to remember both Brittany's. We've got Brittany Griner out of Russia. We need to take care of Brittany Alconis now. She's uh, Ridge Alconis's wife. They've got three very young children. She homeschools the two older. They, the, the younger one is not yet school age. Um, and she's living in Japan and trying to make ends meet. Their, um, their pay, he's continued to get paid since July, since he's been in prison, because he had a lot of accumulated leave that he had earned up mm. through his military service. But that runs out on December 28th. Mm. It's just 12 days from now. Wow. And it is shocking and stunning to me that the Department of Defense has now announced just in the last few days that uh, or has informed us privately, uh, at least, that, the, that they will not continue to pay Ridge Alconis after December 28th. And I find this reprehensible. They have the uh, authority to excuse his absence from his duty uh, as unavoidable, and yet they won't. And I, I called out the Secretary of Defense for this yesterday, especially since they sat on it for almost six months. This request was submitted about six months ago. They just sat on it and effectively pocket vetoed it. Mm. To my knowledge, there still is not a publicly available record of decision on it. So I'm, I'm calling out um, uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin uh, to make things right. This is the best and the brightest. The military is having issues with morale and recruiting. And it's no small wonder that they are, given the way they've treated the Alconis family. This would be an important first step for them to take in restoring morale and improving recruiting within the military. Yeah, such an important story. And, uh, Senator, we appreciate your efforts on that on behalf of the Alconis family. Uh, and that is one where uh, we always say when we send our best and brightest into harm's way, uh, we we give them the right things that they need to be successful. Uh, we make sure they have a clear mission. We make sure we bring them home. Uh, and we take care of their families along the way. Uh, and that is such a, a crucial piece of the puzzle there. Utah Senior Senator Mike Lee, thanks so much for carving out some time for us in a very busy day, a very busy week uh, as it relates to Washington, D.C. Thanks for uh, giving us some insight there, and uh, we look forward to seeing what happens next as we uh, march our way towards the end of the year. Senator, thanks for joining us today. 
Thank you, Boyd. Have a good one. All right. Merry Christmas. All right. We'll step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, some final thoughts here on Inside Sources. Stick around. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.